Pocketbook. Noun. One. A woman's handbag. Two. A paperback or other small cheap edition of a book. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pocketbook, the down market podcast where we read harder things so you don't have to. Oh, it's plague time still, friends. Yikes. But lucky for everyone, we get to chat about fun stuff like whining. I don't know, this is so timely, because I don't know how many of you guys are dealing with um, coworkers, family, friends, people on the internet, just random people. They're like, I don't know why I have to stay in the house. It's getting... And making general whiny noises. But uh, it's okay. You can take some comfort in the fact that um, Moses had to deal with a lot of that too. So before we get started... I'll go through the regular starty-uppy things. Number one, if you're listening to this backwards, yikes. Number two, if you're looking for a deep spiritual experience, this probably isn't your place. If you, uh, yeah, go to church. Go to somewhere else. Um, Number three, if you want deep scholarship that can't be found on the first couple of pages of Google or just in my brain, then this maybe isn't your jam as well. So maybe give this give this place a miss. If you've passed all three of the criteria, welcome! Hooray! Don't know that I have any announcements or anything. We're back on schedule. Um, thanks for bearing with me last week for being super, super duper late. Um, I am now recovered and no longer sick. Don't worry, I didn't have the plague, just a plague. And so with all of that said, let's just jump on in. We're still in the Exodus. If you remember from last time, we were talking about Pharaoh and him having a rough time with all of the plagues. Uh, We had gnats, we had locusts, we had a whole bunch of stuff. But we left off with the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And so, you know, Moses went up there and said, so God says he's going to kill all your firstborn. If you don't let the people go. And Pharaoh said, "Hmm, I think you're lying. And then it turned out he wasn't lying. So at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. That's that's a tough time. There was not a house without somebody dead. Yikes. So then Pharaoh summons Moses and says, that's it. Get out of here. And (laughs) he doesn't just say, get out of here. He says, Oh, and don't forget, can you give me a blessing too? Which I'm just like, oh my goodness, the audacity of this guy. It's bananas. Anyway, so the Egyptians are really urging the Israelites to get out of there. So the whole part about rushing is that all the bread that all the Israelites had, they didn't have time to leaven it. And not eleven, but just leaven, L-E-A-V-E-N. And leaven is a substance that you put in bread. It's usually yeast. Um, I guess it could be something else, but it's to make the bread rise. So normally, I don't know how many of you make bread, but usually when you're making bread, you have to mix all your dough together. Well, sometimes you have to activate your yeast as well. Put the yeast in the dough, mix it all up, let it sit. And it takes 10,000 years. And then you have to knead it down again and then let it sit. Sometimes it has to rise two or three times. It depends on what kind of bread you're making. There's all kinds of different editions of bread. But of course, if you're in a hurry and you've already mixed up your dough and you were going to leave it to rise, but then you didn't get a chance, 
you just had to grab your bread and go. So that's what the Israelites did. They grabbed their bread and go and and goed. They grabbed their bread and went. I know how to do English. And on their way, there's just a little passage there where they plundered the Egyptians. It says that the Egyptians gave them the stuff. Eh, no, no, I don't know. I, I don't know. They might have taken it. Plunder isn't usually a thing that you use to describe someone who gave you some stuff. But if I haven't mentioned it before, yikes, this thing's been translated a bunch of times. Plunder might not even be the right word. So, plunder the Egyptians, grab your bread, and peace out. And it was at the end of 430 years when the Lord took all of the people out of Egypt. So they've been waiting for quite some time. And that night that the Lord took them out of Egypt, the Lord kept a vigil on them to take them out of Egypt safely. And so, of course, we're going to move into chatting a little bit about festivals and such, because this is the basis for the festival of Passover, which this year is going to be celebrated on April 8th. This is 2020. Um, And it's the festival that is celebrated by um, Jewish folk every year to commemorate the Exodus and Moses bringing the people out of Egypt. And actually, it's really cool because the directions for Passover are laid down right in scripture, which I think is so neato schmido. It's just, it's so cool that there's this tradition that, you know, has been passed down from century to century to century along such a complex and varied history with diaspora and just all of these things. And I think it's so cool that things like Passover are some of the traditions that help tie people together. And that's just I don't know. I think it's really beautiful and I think it's really cool that it's in this document that is incredibly, incredibly old. It's set down that, you know, the whole congregation of Israel is going to celebrate Passover and they're going to do it every year on this day. Um, And it is in the second. Oh, when is it today? The month of Abib. I'm I'm not familiar with the Hebrew calendar, so I can't speak to to when that is. But uh, apparently this year it's April (laughs) in the in our in our traditional calendar. So um, it's just really, it's just really neat. So the first, the first number one biggest rule of Passover, according to what I've read, and again, if I say something really stupid, please don't hate on me. Um, I did do my research on this. I actually went to the internet for you guys to check out all the different things to make sure I get everything right. So the biggest thing about Passover, both in scripture and to this day, is that you're not allowed any hummets, which is foods that have leaven in them. So if it's got yeast or anything to leaven it, you're not allowed to have it um, during this time. And so it's, you know, it's named in scripture as the festival of unleavened bread for a reason. And so the traditional food that you eat during Passover is matzah, which is unleavened bread, which is kind of cool. Apparently you can buy it at the grocery store. So I don't know. Anybody let me know if you know what matzah tastes like. It, I mean, it sounds like it must be pretty cool. So it's, uh, that's the traditional food that you eat and there's lots of prayers that are said and lots of, um, psalms that are read and time close together with family and it's a really big deal. So in scripture here, there's not a whole lot, just that when you celebrate this, um, the unleavened bread will be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be even seen in your possession. That's it. No leaven or among you and in all your territory. No yeast. That's it. Your toast. Um, and you should tell your children during this time that it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And I, this is where, you know, I was talking last episode a little bit and somewhat in a disorganized fashion about how this really feels like an excuse for God to flex on the Pharaoh. Um, and this is where some of that comes from. I mean, I'm of course being tongue in cheek about it, but there are lots of mentions from the Lord, um, 
where he says, you know, it's about me and it's about everybody in Egypt knowing that I am the Lord. That's what's important here. And so the reason that I hardened Pharaoh's heart and made it so hard for you guys to get out of Egypt was so that I could set my wonders free on Egypt and show them what I can do. And same thing about the Festival of Unleavened Bread. I'm setting this down as a legacy for generations to come. You're going to celebrate this every year. And every year you're going to tell your children it's because what the Lord did to take me out of Egypt. And I just think it's really interesting um, that God is sort of setting up this legacy for himself in a way. I mean, if you subscribe to the idea that deities function on belief and that if there's no one left that believes in a God, then do they still exist? You know, it's really interesting that here God is sort of giving himself a a plan in the future, right? Like setting up this tradition that's going to carry his people through thousands and thousands of years, which is really, I mean, smart on his part and also kind of cool. So that's Passover. It's, um, it's a, it's a huge festival. I'm, it's, it's just a couple of passages here, so I won't, I won't dwell on it because I'm not an expert, but I wanted to let you guys know that, uh, it's really, really cool that there's this, this festival of unleavened bread that has this tradition from like thousands of years ago and people still practice it today and it just blows my mind, um, the way that things like that can bring people together. It's very, very cool. I'll stop nerding out about it. But I mean, really, you probably came here for my nerdery anyway. So if you didn't, it's going to be a hard time. So the other thing that the Lord says to Moses once they leave Egypt is he said, Consecrate to me all the firstborns. Whatever is born, whatever's first to open the womb among the Israelites of human beings and animals is mine. And I read that the first time and I thought, hmm, what does he mean by mine? Well, I will tell you. Among the animals, it means that every the firstborn of every animal is... Um, slaughtered and sacrificed to the Lord. And you might be wondering, as I was wondering, what are they going to do about the humans, though? And it sounds like um, you can redeem. But it... <sighs> this, this paragraph specifies not just firstborn, but firstborn males. So it says that the, the continuing sacrifice will be the firstborn male of every creature shall be sacrificed to the Lord, but donkeys and humans, we get to redeem with a sheep. So like if you're, if you had a spare sheep, you could sacrifice that sheep instead of sacrificing your son, which is kind of a cool echo back to Abraham and Isaac, where uh, God supplied a sheep to sacrifice instead of Isaac. So this is carrying on of the whole like, well, maybe you shouldn't give me your kids because that's kind of yucky, but uh, give me a sheep instead. So that's the other tradition that started here and the other commandment that, that, God gives to Moses. So they just do that. And again, this there's lots of repetitive and and so I'm not I mean I'm not giving you guys all the all the repetitive language and stuff, right? But again, we see here is that same kind of repetitive oral language. You know, this will be a sign on your forehead and on your hand and those kinds of that kind of language is repeated often uh every time God says this is going to be a sign of what I have done for you and don't you forget it. Which is interesting because uh, we're going to start keeping the complaint tally as of now. So uh, keep track. <laughs> I actually had to get out a piece of paper and, and keep track of the tally. And we'll continue doing this through the book of Exodus. I'll be keeping score because uh, it happens a lot. But um, the people seem to forget it a lot. And I think that speaks a lot to just human nature and wandering around in the wilderness. So... Once they've had this little chat about the unleavened bread and also the consecration of the firstborn, the next thing that we learn about is the pillars of cloud and fire. And what's really cool about this, fun history fact, um, 
it could be seen as a mystical pillar of cloud and fire. That's the way that it's often represented in artwork. But this is what's at the head of the column. So there's this great big train of Israelites all leaving the country at the same time. And so to keep everybody together, there's a pillar of cloud that is visible during daylight hours. And then at night, it becomes a pillar of fire. And so apparently, this is also a way that armies used to travel in biblical times. So in order to keep your whole long train of people together, uh, this was kind of a common practice. So it says the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud. I, I don't know whether it was an actual out of thin air manifestation of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. I wasn't there. But regardless, it was a, it was a common practice at the time to make sure that you kept everybody together. So that's kind of cool. Oh, and in case you were worried from a couple episodes ago, don't worry. Uh, Moses did take the bones of Joseph. So in our last episode on Joseph, which I think was two episodes ago, Joseph said to the Israelites, hey, when God comes to get you, don't leave me here. <laughs> Take my bones. And so Moses honors that request. It's noted there, which is kind of nice. I love that sort of internal consistency where uh, they didn't forget about Joseph and they do, in fact, bring his bones out of Egypt to travel with the with the Israelites. And I don't know. Um, I don't recall any mention of them doing anything with them after. Like there's no word about where he gets buried, at least not in this episode. So we'll have to wait and see. It's just going to be a fun time together. So then they get to the Red Sea. And the Lord says to Moses, uh, don't, don't go the way that um, through the land of the Philistines, because that's going to be rough. We're not going to go that way. Uh, I don't want to bring war on these people all in one go, um, because then I think they'll probably wimp out and want to run back to Egypt. So uh, wander around in the wilderness a little bit first. And, uh, and I want you to look like you don't know what you're doing, so that Pharaoh will think you're wandering aimlessly and he's going to come and get you. And again... Here's this, this is the direct quote, so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I'm just like, do you think they don't get it yet? Apparently they don't. So what happens is the final seal on once again, that repetitive storytelling piece where Pharaoh says, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just kidding. I take it back. And then tries to make life hard for the Israelites again. He gets to do that one final time. So Pharaoh changes his mind and uh, changes the mind of all of his officials and says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, we had all these people doing all this work for us and then we just let them go? What kind of sense does that make? And so he takes 600 chariots um, and all of the other chariots. So he picks 600 and then says, and also bring the rest. Don't ask me why. And uh, he's going to go out and chase the Israelites and either kill them or bring them back. It just says he's pursuing them. Doesn't say what he plans to do when he gets there. But let me tell you, you don't use your chariots just for funsies. Uh, that's probably, he's probably going to kill them. It won't be great. And so as Pharaoh comes closer and starts catching up, because of course, chariots being pulled by horses, horses being much faster at the whole running game than humans, um, the Israelites look back and this is complaint number one. So... Here's the beginning of your complaint tally. The first time the people turn to Moses and say, okay, look, now you took us out of Egypt. What for? And I just love this. I love this poetic language. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? So you brought us out here so we could die out here? Which I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so extra. That's the kind of thing a drama llama would say. Um, so they're complaining and they're wondering like, this is what you told us in Egypt. Like, leave us. Why didn't you leave us alone? Pharaoh would have just kept us and it would have been fine and and we would have had you know we would have been slaves but it wouldn't have been that bad that kind of thing and so Moses says oh my goodness calm down stop your whining and uh you'll see today what the Lord is going to accomplish for you because 
you just need to calm down. Did you not see all the things we just did back there? Like, did you think that Lord had just abandoned you? Apparently the people were kind of like, oh uh, yeah, because do you see all those dudes in chariots with swords? Because that's pretty real. God's pretty intangible. Anyway, they decide to trust Moses. And um, once again, God repeats the fact that he's going to uh, show himself and gain glory for himself at the expense of Pharaoh. Because, I mean, you slam dunked him ten times with all the plagues. You might as well do it again. And so what he does is uh, he moves the pillar of smoke and cloud up in front of behind the behind the Israelites in front of the Egyptians. So between the two of them, making this wall of, of fire and cloud. And um, so the Egyptians were obviously freaked out because this looks like some sort of crazy magic and uh, they don't they don't approach. And then Moses looks. So what's happened is the people are kind of penned in against the Red Sea. Right. So ahead of them is the Red Sea, which you can't just, you know, jump in and swim. It's pretty big. Check the map. Um, and then behind them is Pharaoh with all of his dudes ready to kill them. So Moses stretches out his hands and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, which is very, very cool. And the waters were divided. So he makes, there's a little land bridge, which funny enough actually is a natural phenomena. Kind of cool. Great timing, by the way, um, where the Lord was like, Hey, I'm just going to make this thing that naturally happens all the time. Just happen. Uh, you can get sand bridges and, and land bridges that show up like with the tide and all kinds of cool stuff. So anyway, water is freaky. So now the people have this great land bridge that they can just cross to get to the other side. Fancy dancy. They do that. And then the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire disappear. And um, the Egyptians are like, hey, sweet deal. There's a fancy little sandbar there. Let's just run across after the, after the Israelites will catch them. And then uh, that's not what happens. Spoiler alert. The Lord says to Moses, hey, so I'm going to let them get, I don't know, about midway. We'll get them really good and stuck in there. Yeah. Going to clog those chariot wheels. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're going to get them real freaked out. So God gives the Egyptians a whole bunch of fear. And they're like, oh my goodness, why did we come with this dude? We should have left the Israelites alone. God is so incredibly powerful. He's going to smush us. And then that's exactly what he does. So he says to Moses, stretch out your hand, my friend. And the water comes back in over the Egyptians upon their chariots and their chariot drivers. And they all drown. That's not great. So the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them, they're all toast. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground. The water's forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Which is not a natural phenomenon, but you know, who knows? So anyway, the Lord saves Israel, and uh, the Egyptians are dead on the seashore, which is kind of like, yikes. I wonder what the Egyptians thought about that. They don't write about it, so maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know. 600 people seems like a big deal to me, but who knows? I'm not a knower of, of ancient arithmetic, so maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. So, and then we start singing. And there's a great big song. I'm not going to read it. If you want to go, it's chapter 15 of Exodus called The Song of Moses. And um, it's a hymn that they sing to the Lord to praise him for taking him out and, uh, you know, drowning all the Egyptians, which is kind of like all victory songs ever. Yay, we killed our enemies and everything's great. Um, but then we're going to skip right on ahead to one of my favorite ladies in the Bible, uh, Miriam, who is a prophet as well. And she's Aaron's sister. And she's just really cool, and she gets a name, and she's awesome. And she, ha she has a little song as well. Um, and then we get to our first miracle. So this is also going to be complaint tally number two. 
so get ready. So they set out from the Red Sea. They've done the, done the drown the Egyptians part. And we're moving on. But they're going into the wilderness. And I'm sure you've all heard of the rule of threes. Three weeks without food. Three days without water. Three minutes without oxygen. Uh, otherwise, you're toast. And so you will understand the alarm of the Israelites when they go three days into the wilderness and they find no water. Now, I think they had some with them. So they probably hadn't been three days without water. Otherwise, they'd all be toast. But you can tell why they're starting to complain to Moses. And they said, once again, oh my God, why did you even take us out of Egypt? What are we going to, what are we going to drink? And so Moses calls on the Lord and says, hey, what are we going to do about this? And they were at a place where they were going to try to drink the water, but they couldn't because it was bitter. Now, I don't know what um, made the water bitter. I, there's no... There's just a translation note that says bitterness as opposed to bitter. Um, mara is just the word that means bitterness. So I don't know what that means. It could have mean, meant it was fouled by a body. could have meant it was really salty, really high alkali content. Anyway, whatever it was, they couldn't drink it. And so the Lord said to Moses, hey, here's a piece of wood. Throw the wood in the water. So he throws the wood in the water and then the water becomes sweet and good to drink. So that's cool. And... Um, this is where the Lord says yet again, look, if you listen to the things that I tell you, this is going to be good. You know, look, I've, here's, a, here's a nice little miracle for you. I've, I've made you this sweet water. Now, if you listen to all the things that I tell you, don't worry. I'm not going to bring any of the diseases that I gave the Egyptians on you. You're my chosen people and I like you. So I'm not going to mess things up for you. It's going to be okay. As long as you do what I say. So then they make it to Elim, which is a lovely, lovely oasis. And there's... 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they get to camp there and there's a lot of sweet water and, and they're doing just fine. So after a couple of months, they get out to my new favorite place in the Bible, the wilderness of sin. It might be sign. I don't know. It's S-I-N. I'm not sure how it could be seen. It could be sign. It could be sin. Not sure how it's pronounced, but dude, I'm going with the wilderness of sin, which, oh, what a great image. Just this great wilderness full of all the bad things. Mmm. Cool image. Anyway, it is between Elim and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, so it's actually two and a half months after they left Egypt, uh, everybody gets there into this wilderness and they've been wandering around and they're complaining to Moses. Yet again, are you keeping track? Because this is number three. And they say, we're so hungry. Everything's terrible. And once again, why did we ever leave Egypt? At least there we had food. This is just so much worse. And the Lord says to Moses, look, I got a plan. Don't worry about it. I'm going to rain bread from heaven. And Moses is like, uh-huh. Okay. That sounds trippy, but whatever. We've seen some weird stuff so far. Guess we'll see. So Moses and Aaron say to the Israelites, Guess what? In the evening, you're going to figure it out that it was the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. Once again, not only do we have to prove and flex on the Egyptians and convince them that it was the Lord, but we got to convince the Israelites that this is the Lord, man. He's not just some sort of two-time chump. Like, this is the Lord. He's going to do some cool stuff. So they say, in the morning, you're going to figure it out because he's heard you complaining against us. <sighs> And uh, it's going to be a miracle. It's going to be great. So 
Moses tells Aaron, go tell the people. Aaron tells the people. The Lord says to Moses, oh, look, I hear them. I hear them all that bitching and moaning. And uh, Moses is like, yeah, you know that. It's, it's, it's a lot. Can we just... It's really sticking in my gizzard. I wish they'd stop complaining. So what he does is tries to um, make it better. So in the evening, quails come up. Don't ask me where these quails come from. If you've never seen a quail, a quail is a very cute little bird that has a little feather that's a little feather tuft that sticks out of the top of its head and they waddle along and they're also super tasty. You know, no disrespect to quails, but they do taste very, very good. Um, and apparently their poop, see, I'll look this up for you guys because this is what happens. In the evening, the quails come and they cover the camp. And in the morning, there's a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew is lifted, there on the surface is a fine, flaky substance, almost as fine as frost on the ground. And so I thought to myself, okay, so here we are, and we have a bunch of quails that come in. Then there's this stuff all over the ground. Are we eating evaporated quail poop? Because I don't think you should eat that. But apparently, according to a quail farmer that I found on the internet, quail poop is actually a lot less smelly than chicken poop or duck poop. So, there you go. Maybe it was quail poop. I don't think it tastes like honey, which is what we're told this stuff tastes like. But other than that, the quails only show up this first time. I have no idea why they're significant. I don't understand. But there were some quails. They were some cute little bros that just came in and were like... And then left a bunch of mana, I guess. I don't know. So, in the morning, that's what they have is this bread stuff. And it turns out to be magic bread stuff. Because Moses says to them, okay, so everybody take one portion of it and it's what's the number here oh an omer one omer which apparently is a tenth of an ifah which i hope that helps you because it doesn't help me it's an amount let's call it a pound i don't know take an amount and only only take that amount just take what you need for the day don't keep any extra so this is the disobedience count because the first thing that happens is some people gathered more and some people gathered less and then when they come to measure it, the magic bread was like, ha ha ha, you thought you were going to disobey the Lord. Well, mm, joke's on you. You still only have an Omer's worth. Ha ha ha, lol. But then the next thing is Moses says, don't leave any of it over till morning. Only take what you need to eat for the day. The Lord will provide for you. And of course, people do exactly what I would do, which was, uh-huh, okay, sure. What if the Lord forgets about me, Moses? I'm going to be really hungry. Why don't I save some for tomorrow? You know those people that go to the restaurant and they're like, oh, I'm just gonna, uh, can I get a box? I'm just gonna take half my salad and take it for lunch tomorrow. That's the Israelites in this particular scenario. Uh, unfortunately, just imagine if you went home and put your salad in the fridge and then you woke up the next day to take it for lunch and it was growing worms because that's what happens to the Israelites is all of the manna that they save over from the night before goes all moldy and yucky and starts to grow worms like instantly, which is kind of yuck. Again, strong evidence that it might be quail poop. Just saying. So Moses was angry with them, obviously. So that's the, the nope and disobedience tally number one. Don't worry, there will be a lot more of that coming up. We're getting to Mount Sinai, and let me tell you, that is a fun time. So on the sixth day, the Lord says, I'm going to give you some extra, and you're allowed to have two omers per family, per person, whatever. And uh, the Lord has commanded, on this day only, I want you to take enough for today and tomorrow. And you're going to keep it for the next morning. And the people are like, I thought you said we weren't supposed to do that. But Moses is like, look, I don't make the rules. The Lord makes the rules. He told you to get twice as much today and keep some for tomorrow. Just do it, all right? And so the people are like, okay, whatever. And they do that. 
and uh, they keep some for the next day, and it does not become foul, and there's no worms. Yay! Susan got to keep her salad. Perfect. Um, and then, again, so then Moses says, look, you've had your chance. Now don't go out tomorrow to pick it up. There won't be any. And the people are like, yeah, right, Moses. We've got the hang of this. We know this manna stuff gets here every morning. But lo and behold, on the seventh day, which if you recall from episode number one, if you can remember back that far, uh, the seventh day is, of course, the day of rest. And it's the Sabbath. And so to honor the Sabbath, God says, no manna for you and no work for you. You should have made what you needed yesterday so that today you can rest. And so some of the people went outside to pick up the manna and Moses said, what are you doing? He literally just said, go to your tent. So they all go back to their tents and they rest on the seventh day. So we're told a few little details about manna, which is what they called it. It's like coriander seed, which I don't know if you've ever seen coriander, but they're kind of small, round. Uh, it actually looks like grape shot is what it looks like. Um, and it's white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. I'm like, ooh, jalebi, baklava, good stuff. So really sweet and obviously nutritious. So the Lord also commands, I want you to keep an omer of it throughout the generation so that you can show your kids what I used to bring you out of Egypt and what I fed you with. So apparently they keep it. And then we get the world's biggest time skip ever. And it says, yep, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. Whoa. That's a long time. And then we get that fun little detail that an Omer is a tenth of an ephah, ephah? I don't know what that measurement is either. So I'm guessing it's like a pickle jar? Let's say a pickle jar. Pickle jar's worth of manna. So, and Aaron apparently also keeps a pickle jar of manna to show to their ancestors. I really want to know what happened to that pickle jar of manna. I want to know where it got to. It's probably in the same place as the Ark of the Covenant, but like, I would love to know what happened to that because it would be so cool to see it and also to taste it. But I mean, you know, it's kind of like national parks where you can't pick the flowers because then there wouldn't be any flowers left for anybody else. And it would be the same with manna. If I did find the pickle jar full of manna, I couldn't taste it because then if everybody tasted it, there wouldn't be any for anybody else. And that wouldn't be fair. Sad. Anyway, I'd like to see it, though, for sure. So, the next thing, from the wilderness of sin. <laughs> the whole congregation of the Israelites, they go by stages, they camp at all these different places, and finally they make it to Horeb, this great big rock. And uh, if you're keeping your complaint tally, I believe this is number four, where the people go, Moses, I'm thirsty. Oh my god, can you imagine? This is like a road trip with a bajillion two-year-olds, right? Like, I'm thirsty. When are we gonna get there? I'm hungry. God didn't give me enough manna. Moses, when are we gonna fix it? Except for 40 years. Can you imagine a 40-year-long road trip with a bunch of whiny children? Because, yikes, I can and it sounds terrible. So anyway, they complain about the water. And Moses says to God, seriously, what am I going to do with these people? And God says, what you're going to do is you're going to take your fancy stick, the one that you had in Egypt, and you're going to just walk over to that rock over there at Horeb. And you're going to smack the rock with a stick and there's going to be some water. And Moses is like, oh my good, this is blah, whatever. So he just walks over there and smacks the rock and ba-bam, there's some water, which is pretty cool. And so... Um, they called the place Masah and Meribah because, or Meribah? I don't know, I'm guessing. Anyway, uh, because the people were quarreling and saying, look, is God here or not? Like, prove it, you know? <sighs> so now there's just this little interlude, and it's only like, I don't know, three 
six verses or so. But uh, the um, then Amalek. I'm not sure who Amalek is, but I'm guessing he's a king. And he comes to fight with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses says to Joshua, this is our first mention of Joshua. By the way, Joshua gets to be a really cool guy. He does some cool stuff later on. Uh, he kind of gets to be Moses' right-hand dude aside from Aaron. Um, so Moses says to Joshua, okay, pick some men for us tonight and go out and fight with this Amalek guy. And tomorrow, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stand on a hilltop and uh, with the staff of God in my hand, and I'll make sure that God's on your side. So Joshua's like, cool, get to go do some fighting. So the next day they go out and they do exactly that. And Moses is up on the hill with his staff. And uh, every time he holds up his hand, Israel does well. And every time he lowers his hand, then Amalek starts to win. And so, you know, obviously, if you want Israel to win the battle, you got to keep your hands up until they win. But I don't know if you've ever tried to stand on top of a gigantic hill for the two or three days that it takes to, you know, or the full day even, that it takes to win a battle with your arms above your head. But that's what Moses tried to do. And understandably, it did not work very well. His arms got very weary. So what um, Moses, what Aaron and uh, this other guy did, what's his name? Her, that's his name. H-U-R, not H-E-R, anyway. Um, they get a rock and they sit Moses down and then they hold up his arms. So they stand there holding Moses' arms up in the air until the Israelites win. Which I'm like, wow, that is commitment. Yikes. So they win. And that's just this little tiny thing in the middle there. And Moses is like, yeah, God's my banner. And we won. We kicked that guy's butt. So now we get to just do this total about face. I'm sorry, guys. I know this plot seems a little bit like skippity skip, but that's, that's the way that it is in here. We just go straight from this attack that takes no time at all to this great long paragraph about Jethro. If you recall from last episode, but you might not, so I'm telling you anyway, Jethro is the high priest of Midian. Uh, and he's Moses' father-in-law. So his wife, Zipporah, uh, and his two sons are with his father-in-law. So Jethro shows up and he brings uh, Moses' wife and his two sons. Now, and there's just this little throwaway line. It says, after Moses had sent away his wife, his father-in-law took her back along with her two sons. And I don't know why he would have sent her away. I don't know what that was about. I, I don't know. I could make some random guesses. But I have no idea why he might have done that. Uh, except maybe he was going on a long trip and was like, no, 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 why don't you hang with your dad? This is going to be tough times. You don't want to come with us anyway. Um, because she, maybe she's not an Israelite. I have, I have no idea. I have no idea. But anyway, Zipporah and Moses' two sons come along with Jethro. And they meet and they have happy times. This is the thing. So, you know, they, they go and they meet and things are good, I guess. And they catch up and Moses tells Jethro all the things that have happened and... Jethro's like, wow, that Lord, he knows what's up. Like, good, good job. And again, this is, this is a really key phrase, and it's going to come up in the Ten Commandments um, next episode, and we're going to talk about it. But uh, Jethro says, now that I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And I just think this is such a key phrase. Uh, like I say, we're going to talk about it more next week. But that says to me, there are other gods out there. But what's being proven here is that the Lord is the greatest of all of those gods. So it's not just flexing on Pharaoh. It's flexing on Pharaoh's gods. It's not just flexing on Amalek, whoever Amalek is. It's on Amalek's gods, right? Like in the game of winning belief, the Lord is making a big power game here. Uh, and he's winning. So 
that is what happens. And so then, then again, so hearing of all of these great things, Jethro brings a sacrifice to the Lord and they, he and Moses sit down and they eat and they hang out and commiserate and all this stuff. So the next day, Moses does this thing that he's been doing uh, highly inefficiently. And he sits out in front of all the Israelites all day uh, till late, late, late into the evening. And um, Jethro's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and Moses says, well, look, all these people have these problems and they're coming to me to judge. And so I need, I need to help them, right? Like they don't know the statutes of the Lord. And so I ask God and God tells me and I tell them. And Jethro's like, wow, that is so dumb. Here's what you should do. You know the statutes of the Lord. Teach them. Don't just have them depend on you. Teach them to do it themselves. And, you know, pick some guys that are super honest and have them kind of, you know, administer to everybody. And he sets it up in the same way that lots of armies set things up in, you know, in tens and fifties uh, and hundreds and thousands, right? So you're going to have an officer for every thousand people. And then within that thousand you're going to have an officer for every hundred people. And then within that hundred, every 50, within that 50, every 10, which is actually a fun story how the Romans did it too. Just side note, they don't exist yet, but when they do, that's how they do it. Um, and so Moses is like, oh my God, you are saving me so much. And so um, I think it's really cool because Jethro is like, you know, I mean, with God's permission, you know. I'm not telling you that God's being dumb or that you're being dumb, but also there might be a better way to do this. Just saying. And Moses is like, you know what? You're a winner. That's exactly what we're going to do. And so he does exactly that. And all, instead of Moses judging every single grievance of every single Israelite for an entire day, he appoints these judges instead to judge over people's grievances and, and, and arbitrate between the two of them. Um, and, you know, the big cases they can bring to Moses, but any smaller cases they can just sort of decide on their own. Which is kind of cool because, oh my goodness, as any person with a hustle knows, you've got to know how to delegate. Like, Moses, buddy, you can't be doing it all all the time. Look, we know you're God's mouthpiece, but also like, woo, calm down, look after yourself. Self-care, Moses, you have to delegate. So that's what happens there. And this is, I mean, this is such an awkward place to end, you guys. But again, in the long running story of I'm never sure where to end stuff because we got a bunch of big things coming up we are finally reaching Mount Sinai. So on the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, um, they come into the wilderness of Sinai. So um, this is a gigantic big mountain. It's very important. And it's where God is hanging out. And so God says to Moses, come on up. There's a dense cloud here at the top of the mountain. Just, uh, you know, you've seen. You, you tell the houses of Jacob. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I did all these things for you and brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. So, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to make a covenant. Get ready. And so Moses does exactly that. And um, uh, the Lord says, hey, so see that dense cloud on the top of the mountain? Come on up, bud. Let's get started. Which is where we're going to stop because that's, um, yeah, it's, it's just a good place. We're going to next week, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments because, of course, what's going to happen is Moses is going to go up to the top of the mountain and God is going to give him the law. And we are going to talk about all of that because there's a lot of laws um, and not only the Ten Commandments, which is kind of what uh, people consider to be the law. But there's also a lot of extra pieces that go along with that. There's laws about slavery and laws about altars and laws about all kinds of good stuff. So we're going to talk about some of those kinds of things 
and what they mean. And uh, well, I'll do my best to summarize for you guys because there's a lot in here. <laughs> It'll be good practice for when we get to things like Leviticus, which I'm guessing, I mean, you guys don't want to know all the laws. Um, although if you do, like, give me a heads up. So yeah, maybe that's a good thing. If you have some feedback, whether you want to know about all the different laws, because there are like four or five chapters here of laws and festivals and the year and the Sabbath and restitution and violence and property and just the list goes on and on. So if you want to know about all those different laws, great. If you're like, oh my god, there's a reason you're reading this instead of me, please skip that stuff and give me the summary, give me the highlight reel. I'm happy to do that as well. So uh, you guys just let me know. This is this is the paperback version. I read the hard things so you don't have to and I will read all of the laws for you if you want me to. So just uh, drop me a line, let me know. You can find us on Instagram at the pocketbook pod. You can also find us at Gmail at the pocketbook pod at gmail.com. You can also find us on any of your pod catcher things that you're using to listen to us right now. But if you would be so kind, you can pop on over to iTunes and you can leave us a five star review. Um, if I start writing part of me and a review, if you like, if you want to tell people what you like about the show, uh, if you want to say I'm only listening to it because I'm related to that person and I have to, then by all means, put that in there. Uh, any feedback you have, things you think the people should know about the podcast, please go ahead and do that. What it does is uh, it brings the podcast up in, in the ratings, in the algorithm for Apple Podcasts, and it makes other people it makes it easier for other people to find the show. So if you would like to do that, that would be very much appreciated. And uh, if not, you know, whatever. I'll just send a plague after you. It's no big deal. So I will talk to all of you guys next week. Um, I'm kind of hanging out. You know, we're all sort of in quarantine. So if there's anything, um, if you guys would be interested in like any bonus content at all, if you want to talk like Bible history, if you want to talk translation, if you want to talk some of those kinds of things, I'm I'm happy to do that as well. So uh, any thoughts about any kind of bonus content that you'd like, anything you have questions about, or you're like, oh, hey... Kelsey, can you do a deep dive on this thing that you talked about and then never talked about again or anything like that? Uh, let me know, because we, we all have a lot of extra time on our hands. And if you guys could do with some more listening to my voice, then uh, you might be ill. And also, uh, I'm, I'm happy to provide. So let me know what you think you might like. And otherwise, we'll see you all next week as scheduled for the Ten Commandments and all the other extra commandments as well. As always, thanks for listening. Take care, y'all. Wash your hands.